Hello. My name's Andy Walser. I'm the director of visitation ministry at Nazareth Church here in Cedar Falls. And uh, basically what that means is that I coordinate with the pastors and uh, we go visit uh, seniors. We go visit folks in the hospital. Uh, we, um, and I'm kind of a utility guy. The first 15 years of my ministry, I uh, worked with junior high and high school students. And then uh, for some reason, God called me to the other end of the spectrum. And so I am super glad to be able to share with you tonight and uh, tell you the truth. For the, uh, I moved to the area in 2002, and uh, BASIC was going then before I, it started long before I came to the area. But this has been a group that um, when you look at God's Word, and there's these books called the Epistles, the letters that are written to encourage bodies of Christ followers in different areas, they always start with this greeting, and they always are generous, and they say, ever since I heard about you guys, I've been praying for you, and I can tell you the truth that uh, in all the years that I've heard about BASIC, that I've known BASIC, that I've come to visit, I've been praying for you and for your group and for the fellowship that God does here uh, at UNI, and I'm, I'm so happy that you're here and, and brave the weather. Um, Sorry, am I uh, only picking it up when I turn left? Sorry about that. So uh, as people get to know me, I work with Sarah, and uh, Sarah's, I know, get a woot over there. As you get to know me, you'll find out that uh, I really like God's Word a lot, and so I want you to maybe just have that available um, for you. But before I jump into the Word, I want you to think about, do you have a touchstone, humbling moment. Do you have a moment in your life that when you remember that, no matter how good you're feeling about yourself or how puffed up and proud you are, you remember that and it takes you down a peg. And I, I want to share with you one of mine. I've been married almost 20 years. June 19th, it'll be 20 years for Amy and I. Yeah, marriage is good. Having a family is awesome. I have a son that's an eighth grader over in Waterloo at Hoover. Uh, and I have a daughter that's a 17-year-old over at West High. Uh, but before they came along, it was just Amy and I. And uh, we did what young married couples do. We would go walk to different stores. And one day, uh, back then, uh, before most of you guys were, were uh, around, uh, they had video stores. And, uh, and I'm not talking DVDs. They had these rectangular square things that you would put into a box. <laughs> They would project pictures onto a television, and uh, you would actually pay money to rent them. And so uh, we were, we had, uh, Amy's, Amy had a house before I married her, and because uh, she was an independent lady that uh, I married her for her wealth and her money as a first grade teacher. And, um, <laughs> and so we walked down to the video store, and we're having a great time. And I was kind of feeling my oats, you know, like sometimes you just kind of feel funny and you're joking around with a good friend. And we're waiting in the line. And at the video stores, go ahead and put this slide up. They have what I always call the shame tape, okay? This is the tape that somehow the dog got it, somehow it went through the blender, somehow. And they would always have a warning sign on it with the shame tape, and, and uh, this isn't the actual one, but it's basically, it was like, be careful with our tapes, or this is what happens. And so I came up, uh, was joking around with Amy, 
And it was our turn. Finally, we came up uh, to the cashier. And joking with her, I go, what do you guys do to those? You know, because it was warped and it was broken. I said, do you actually put it in an oven? You know, do you guys melt those for fun just to make them look really bad? And the girl couldn't have been more sincere. And she looked at me straight faced and she goes, oh, no, no. People just leave them in their cars and they don't realize what happens to them. And I said something intelligent like, oh, and, uh, and so then she's checking with me, you know, and I'm kind of scoffing, like, you got to, for sure, you do something to those videos. You just want to warn people about this. And she's giving, doing the thing, you know, when you check out, uh, maybe you don't, um, because you'd, they'd always have your phone number, so that she double checks my phone number. Yeah, yeah. And she goes, then she double checks my name, which was kind of unusual. She goes, uh, Walser? I go, yeah. And she goes, uh, on Court Street? Yep, that's us. She goes, that's your tape. And I go, that's not our tape. What are you talking about? She goes, did you rent Braveheart two weeks ago? (laughs) Yes, I did. That's your tape. You owe us $30. And I was indignant. And that is the moment. I wonder, that's my tape moment that sometimes I'll go back in life and I, if the times that I need it, God will remind me of my tape moment. And so I want you to set that aside and think about that concept of tape moment. So now we're gonna get into the word. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter 18 and it's near the back of the Bible. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Jesus has been, um, you know, you guys are in the Fourth week, I think, maybe of parables. I've, I've listened to the, the three weeks before, and they did an incredible job. And Jesus oftentimes would use these, these stories about life to teach us about what God was like, about how we should act with each other, and to let you know what's happening with, uh, in Matthew 18. Basically, the whole chapter, Jesus is kind of sharing little bits about what the kingdom of heaven is like. He has a little kid stand in front. They say uh, his disciples, his, his good friends that had been living with him for two or three years, they said, Jesus, who's going to be the most important in heaven? Who's going to be the greatest in heaven? And he has a little child stand among them. And he goes, unless you, you uh, greet me like a little child, unless you, are, um, uh, unless you are teachable like a little child or humble like a little child, uh, that's what's great in heaven. And uh, he talks about, uh, he says, those people that don't know me, uh, that we are going to introduce ourselves to, they're the lost people, they're great in heaven. And he begins to talk, and in, in, so like in verse 10, he talks about this lost sheep. He says, you know, as great as it is to have all the people that already are in fellowship with God, we celebrate even more when we find new people that have not known God and we introduce God to them to God. And so then he gets to uh, verse 15 and he gives them these instructions. He says, now this is how you're going to get along together. He says, he talks about how do you deal with someone that you're in fellowship with that's done you wrong? And he says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between you two. 
And then he says, if they don't listen to you, then bring a friend or two along with you and to talk with them about that. And he says, and if they don't listen to you, then bring the whole group to talk with them. And then if it doesn't change, it might be irreconcilable. And maybe for a time, you need to spend time apart and in hopes that maybe they would repent of what they keep doing. And Jesus' good friend Peter, who's kind of, the guy that sometimes has the answers. He comes to Jesus uh, after this teaching, and he says, so Jesus, how many times? And Jesus is like, how many times what? Well, how many times should I forgive someone? Should I forgive them seven times? You see, Peter uh, was trying to be generous because the Jewish tradition was kind of a baseball three strikes and you're out rule. If you show your mercy and forgiveness to someone three times, that's good enough to say that you've done your part. And Jesus says, I tell you what, it should be more like 70 times seven. And by that, he meant the infinite amount of times, an unending, a cornucopia of forgiveness needs to come. And so look at Matthew 18, Verses 21 through 35. It says, Then Peter came to Jesus. He asked, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven, and he begins, anytime you hear the kingdom of heaven phrase, it's a teaching of what God values. And I tell you the truth, it's going to feel very different. If you haven't learned much about who God is, who this God that Jesus Christ, God with flesh on, is revealing to us, the things that this God seems to value are the exact opposite of what we tend to value. And so he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. A king who wanted to settle his accounts. And while he was settling his accounts with his servant, a servant was brought before him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. It wasn't out of the ordinary. If someone owed an extreme amount of money that they were not going to be able to pay, they became an indentured servant or a slave. And their household, the the people in their household that were able to work, they were accountable. Whatever the head of the household had gotten in trouble and in debt with, then the household would pay that cost also. It's unfair, but it's the way things worked. And Jesus used that example. He says, this man owed so much money that he wasn't going to be able to repay it, and his family was in danger of going into servanthood. And so it says this servant fell on his knees before him. He said, be patient with me. He begged and he said, I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him. So he canceled the debt and he let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. 
And he grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and he begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. And they went and they told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, and you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Then Jesus said this, he said, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your own heart. Super strong words. So my goal is to be able to share this parable with you and to maybe flesh out what exactly is the minutia, what exactly is going on? What would Peter have maybe understood that when we see some of the foreign words here that we don't understand? And the first thing that I want to let you know about is the debt. When Jesus says that this man owed 10,000 talents, as you uh, look at that book in your hand, about the first three quarters of it is the Old Testament, before Jesus' time. So this chunk here. The, the word talent in the Old Testament was used to describe weight. It was about 75 pounds, I think, something like that. In the New Testament... Talent doesn't refer to weight. It refers to how many years' wages. One talent was 20 years' wages of an average worker. So if this man owed 10,000 talents, I took out my iPhone. I had to turn it sideways to make sure that my math was right. This man owed 200,000 years of labor. And when the master comes to him and says, why do you owe this? It's time to reconcile what you owe. The man does what we would do. He freaks out. He knows that all the things that he loves are in danger. He says, please have mercy on me. And the amazing thing is that this master not because he believes the bravado of the man saying, I will repay you. There's no way this man could repay him. We are 2,000 years beyond Jesus' life. Multiply that time span to be able to get to 200,000. But Jesus says, this master wipes this extravagant, unbelievable debt away you see the thing about forgiveness is that it has a cost but the cost for the forgiveness is not paid by the person that's forgiven it's paid by the person that chooses to forgive and in fact the unusual thing is I've thought about forgiveness this week and I thought okay I'm gonna go to the college, I'm going to talk to those young people there who want to learn more about who Jesus is. 
is the interesting thing that it seems like forgiveness, the, the start of forgiveness seems to be with the person that has been wronged. And that makes, it makes sense. If you're wronged, you know you've been hurt. And I think it's important that we don't let that stew. Silence is not good. But the reason that Jesus talked about forgiveness with the disciples was because forgiveness is foundational to the kingdom of heaven. Because before God created us, if God knows all things, if God's everywhere, and maybe you have questions about whether God's everywhere or whether God's nowhere, but my belief is that God is everywhere, he knows everything, and he's all-powerful. Truly, what you, you would say is God with a capital G. And so in my mind, I always fall on the thought of God, if you knew beforehand, before you created us, what it would cost for you to be able to reconcile us back to you, and yet you chose to do it. What does that tell me about who you are? It tells me that forgiveness is foundational to who God is, and that Jesus is offering his disciples a window into what it really means to follow this God, to get to know this God. But the truth about forgiveness is that it's an impossibility for us to do. We have been hurt too much. The scars are too deep for us on our own to lift up that weight and to carry it. But I want you to look with me at this great verse in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, in the middle of uh, teaching, Jesus always had many people around him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, it says, almost in the middle of the street, with the hustle and the bustle of life going on around him, Jesus made this proclamation. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, Come to me if you have a weight you can't move. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For years I used to hear that and I would think of like the the water project that you're uh, promoting. I would think of a, a person walking with one of those yokes that had uh, buckets on either side, and they would carry them that way. But I think I've had the wrong image the whole time. You see, up until, even though I've studied the Bible a long time, I've thought about Jesus a lot, but this verse didn't make sense really fully until a couple weeks ago. Because oxen are yoked two by two. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, I'm wearing the yoke. You come alongside me. And like a parent on one of those double bicycles with their little kid in the back, I'll do the hard work and you pedal with me. 
See, that's the power of forgiveness is that God says, I know you've been hurt. I know that reconciliation isn't even something that you desire. You want to hold on and harbor that hurt. But don't do it. Because the truth is, I've already paid for you this incredible price. I've already paid for you this amount that it would be insurmountable. This $6 billion, I've paid it for you. And I don't even like using the money term. Because I thought, what if I was speaking to Mark Cuban, who's you know, $3.7 billion worth? He would think, well, okay, well, I just need to double my money, I'm good. But it's, easy, it's better to think of it in a relative term. No matter how wealthy you are or how poor you are, Jesus is saying, that king wiped away 200,000 years of labor for this person. And then what's his expectation afterwards? You see, the un- unmerciful servant was forgiven an incredible amount. And then he went around the corner and he found his friend who owed him something significant, $12,000. This is a cost of a car that, you know, would be a good, good car to have and to drive around. So it was, it was one-third of a year's 12, 12 weeks wages that this gentleman owed him. So it wasn't nothing. But he had forgotten the mercy that this king had showed him and demanded he pay him, and when he wasn't able to pay him, he demanded justice. But the thing that the king did is that he said, all right, once he heard about how this man had treated the other servant, he said, if that's, if that's the way that you want to live, if you want to live keeping score, if you want to live penny for penny, then I'll let you live that way. And he had him put, him put in jail until he could pay it. You see, that second man, or the first man that was forgiven the debt, he was incredibly forgetful. He decided not to live in grace, which when I was a little kid, I learned about grace, and uh, it was the most simple definition I could have asked for. When you hear the word grace, it sounds religious, or it's a friend you know, or it's the thing you do before dinner, maybe. But grace, at its best definition in my heart, means undeserved love. And that's the economy that Jesus Christ wants to bring. He's saying, God has loved you in an undeserved way. He's poured his love out on you. And now your only job is whomever you have around you to pour out that love in an undeserved way. Not to manipulate their actions. Not to uh, be able to um, control the circumstances or so that you look better. But just so that you can be a conduit of my love flowing out to the people around you. Now the final thing I want you to check out is that uh, in Matthew 18, he ends with this. Verse 35, he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. I mean, it feels like a threat. But to me, it just kind of makes sense. that It seems like oftentimes, there's a parable one time where, the parable of the talents, where one guy 
there's a king that gives his resources to three different servants. Two servants uh, invest their money. They make good use of their, their money. And uh, then they give it back to the king. And, they, and he says, well done. One guy buries it in the ground. And when the king comes back, he says, well, I know you, king, that you are a hard man and you reap where you do not sow. If you reap where you do not sow, you're not lending out 20 years worth of wages to someone to let them invest it or to use it. But the king says, since you have thought that of me, I'll let you think that of me. So getting back to this Matthew 18, this is how Jesus ends it. He says, unless you forgive your brother from where? From your heart. You see, when it comes to forgiveness, I think more of our attention is on the confession. And we always want to dole out, did they really mean it? Did that confession, I I don't know, they sounded kind of fake. Was that confession coming from the heart? Jesus doesn't say anything about the confession. He doesn't say anything about the asking for forgiveness or how contrite they are. But the place that Jesus is concerned with the heart is in the forgiveness. And the truth is, you are never going to know the heart of the confession of the people that have wronged you and asked for your forgiveness. You just don't have the power to weigh it out and to try to know if it's sincere. And I tell you what, if you try to figure it out, it's exhausting. You'll go in circles That's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say, weigh out their confession. He says, when someone asks you for forgiveness, forgive because you have been forgiven. Unrelenting forgiveness. So where do we go with this? Well, first off, don't don't have a short-term memory. Look at this verse with me in in James chapter 1. So go with a way back where the pages get really thin and you you feel like you're almost to the index. Right after a book called Hebrews, there's a book called James. It was written by the, the actual brother of Jesus who came to follow Jesus after Jesus had died and risen again. Up until that point, this guy, the brother of Jesus, didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. But he comes to be a follower of Jesus and and he ends up being a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And the book of James has a lot of great advice. It's kind of piecemeal. It doesn't have a great flow, but there's a lot of great wisdom on it. But verse 23, this is what James says. He says, anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forget what he look, forgets what he looks like. That's what this guy did. He was forgiven this great debt. He walked around the corner, and he immediately forgot the grace that was poured over him. So the second thing I would encourage you to do is find out what your tape moment is. That thing that would humble you and remind you about grace. For me to remember you know, I shouldn't be so judgmental because that might be my videotape on the counter. To remember that, uh, God, do I have a right to be angry with this person forever? 
And the final thing is to hold short accounts with each other. And this is just a basic wisdom thing. Jesus advises when people ask you for something, don't lend it. Don't be like, well, okay, I'll give it, then, then you give it back. He says, give it. There's a world of difference between lending and giving. Giving, you, you relinquish control of it. And it doesn't have control over you anymore. When you lend, if it doesn't come back to you, you know what it does? It doesn't hurt the person that lost the thing that you gave them or misused the whatever you, you the emotion and the, the, the emotional capital that you put into the relationship. If that is not returned, you die a, a thousand deaths and they aren't hurt at all. And so the idea of keeping short accounts is when you give your love, give it freely. Give it generously. No strings attached. And God says, if you do these things knowing that I love you and I'm enough and I can pour into you, you're going to live a much happier life. You're going to be free to forgive. So I'm going to go ahead and share a prayer and then the band is going to come up for some reflection time. And in that time, these are the things I would love for you to think about. If there's someone that you have been harboring something against, if there is someone you have been wishing ill will about, give that to God. If there is business that you need to do with God and just saying, God, thank you for your love that you've shown me. Thank you for this day. Lord, thank you that you didn't turn away from me when I turned away from you. Do that. Let us pray. Lord God, I thank you for these friends and their generosity to be so attentive. Lord, we uh, pray that you would give us your heart. We don't know how to forgive. Uh, we hold accounts. We keep score. But we pray that you would teach us to do otherwise. Help us to be generous like you. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would bless this time as we invite you into the nooks and crannies of our lives, into the hard places, and into the things that we need forgiveness for or we need to give forgiveness for. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.